AEW Full Gear is in the books, and we're going to review it next on the Squared Circle Cycle Babble. My name is Michael Valenti. Joining me is Ralph Valenti. Ralph, we'll start with the first match. Going with the Steel Cage match. I'm a little surprised that this started the show, but it really was a good opening match. Basically what you would think in this David versus Goliath type of setup where the, the big man dominates early on and throughout most of the match, Christian Cage tries to get into the cage by stealing the key from the referee on the outside. Doesn't do so. He's able to open the cage, but doesn't get in. The referees from the back drag him out and he's out of the match completely. Luchasaurus still does a little bit of dominating, but before it's all over, Jungle Boy gets back into it. He just won't stop fighting, won't stop quitting. Eventually knocks Luchasaurus with a kill switch onto the chair, which led to a near fall. Whacks him in the face with a chair shot before landing that elbow drop from the top of the cage, giving a little send off to his father, Luke Perry, before getting the one, uh, before getting the submission win with his uh, snare trap or snake trap. What are your thoughts on this opening match? I thought it was a great way to open up the show. Yeah, definitely a good way to open the show. Um, you know, cage match. AEW fans were definitely going to be invested in this. Um, Jungle Boy looked really good. I mean, I think this feud has really stretched a little further than I think a lot of us expected it to, mostly because Christian Cage got hurt. And, you know, Luchasaurus isn't necessarily a guy like a Christian Cage who can go out there, cut promos, and really extend a feud past, um, you know, how maybe a couple of weeks or something like that. We just haven't seen him do that. Um, but they've extended this out. We'll see kind of what direction this goes. I think it's really going to depend upon, you know, Christian's health. Uh, but this match itself, this is, and this was the theme of the night for a couple of people. This is the best I think I've seen Jungle Boy look, maybe mm -hmm. the most over. He had some really good high spots. Um, and I think a lot of us were expecting Jungle Boy to come out of the feud with Christian Cage, really hoping that it would elevate him to that next level. Um that being said, Christian Cage was not involved in this match, at least in the match itself, like actually wrestling, you know, aside from the outside interference attempt. So um, it's good to see that even though Christian wasn't one of the guys in there wrestling or, you know, leading the match, whatever you want to call it, Jungle Boy was able to figure it out. He was able to play that baby face role. Great. And uh, yeah, really good opening match for these two. I don't know if really Jungle Boy figured it out, but it was more the referees got Christian Cage out of the match. So like he tried to get involved, but he wasn't involved kind of thing. Nonetheless, it was still a great, great opening match to say the least. And next up, we have a match that I think a lot of people loved. And that was the trios match for the AEW trios championship. We have the elite making their triumphant return against the death triangle. And this was as you would expect from these six and these trios matches in AEW, it was Demolition Derby. It was, you know, a thousand miles an hour, high spot, high spot, high spot, high spot. But we did get a little bit of storytelling in this match because we see Pac trying to give Ray Phoenix the hammer to give them the win. But, you know, Ray Phoenix doesn't want to do it that way. So he throws the hammer out. Match continues on, but... It gets to a point where Kenny Omega's got the one-winged angel to win the match, but Pac handed Ray Phoenix the hammer yet again, and this time Ray Phoenix uses it to give a surprising victory to the Death Triangle, and they retain the AEW Trios Championships. So let's talk about this first. Are you surprised Death Triangle won this match? Uh, no, I think that if... 
the elite came back and won the match. I think people would have been a little critical of it just because, you know, it's kind of, there are people out there that are going to critique and criticize the elite and the Kenny Omegas for putting themselves over in certain situations. I think had they taken a two month hiatus and break, like they did come back, beat this team, the death triangle, who was really kind of like a team where it's like when it's convenient, they come out on top. But a lot of times, you know, they don't necessarily reach the pinnacle of where a lot of people see their potential being. Um, you know, people can criticize that. So I'm actually happy they didn't win. Um, I don't think they lose anything here in terms of just obviously their status with the fans that are still rooting them on. They're super over. I mean, for God's sake, we got a an FCM punk chant so we know where their allegiance is. Um, no, I, I, I don't think that this was a bad call. I liked it. couple things. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this, but something kind of clicked later on in the show. What's that? The use of the hammer versus the use of the pliers slash scissors or whatever the tool was that uh, Swerve Strickland. Isn't this kind of very similar stories where you have, yes, you know, a <laughs> uh, uh, heel number one trying to convince maybe heel number two to use uh, a weapon of some sort for some sort of nefarious means. So I feel like those stories are very similar. That's okay. I guess. Um, I don't know how the ref didn't see hit Ray Phoenix use the hammer because it literally happened right in front of him unless he was staring at Kenny Omega. It's Rick Knox. Piece. It's Rick Knox. Even if there there was a use of the hammer and he saw it, do you really think he's going to enforce it? Half the match had all six guys in the ring doing spot, 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 spot. Or if not all six, at least more than the legal man being in the ring at all times. I mean, yeah. he's not exactly the man who's going to enforce rules, which is a great reason why the Young Bucks use them as use him as their personal referee. And I do want to bring up the chance, Ralph, the FCM punk chance, because we get finally the leader back in AEW. But over the weekend, CM Punk also mentioned, you know, something about what happened with All Out. He was doing commentary with his MMA gig that he has. And they were jokingly saying that they're going to start their own wrestling promotion and CM Punk's going to lead it. And he's basically jokingly saying, no, don't do that. I'm a problem in the locker room. And if you see the clip on social media or wherever, you could see like CM Punk is joking about this. So uh, did you see the clip, by the way, before we before I ask you the question? Yeah, I saw them. Okay. Yeah. Do you think that this was CM Punk basically saying anything you've heard from the reports is plain BS or is it, yeah, it happened. I don't care anymore. I'm done with them. Let them think I'm some locker room cancer or whatever. I'm going to do my thing. AEW move on without me. Uh, I'm still unsure. I think it could be a little bit of both. I think he can certainly be banished from AEW when they're working on his release. I think that could all be true. It could still be a work. I'm not sure. But assuming that part of it's true, I think that, you know, we'd get a very different stance and uh, perception from Punk either way, Wh whatever the case may be. You know, I think that his story wouldn't necessarily match that of the Bucks, the Elite, or anybody else involved in the whole brawl. Um, I think that Punk, you know, he's. I don't think he's going to come out and say, yeah, you know, I was wrong. It's all on me, whatever the case may be. I think he'd probably defend himself and say, look, yeah, it happened, but you're only hearing their side of it. And, you know, the one thing I'm going to maintain is for the most part, 
the journalists, the wrestling media have a very cozy relationship with the box, with AEW, with the elite. So it is what it is. You know, I, I think at some point, if this all is legitimate, we'll get Punk's side of it. Um, I think there's some truth to both sides. Uh, the one thing that I was going to bring up to you is the Bucks came out to carry on Wayward Son. Yes. The lyrics to that, are they suggestive towards CM Punk? Because I, I mean, who was I? Uh, Nick Jackson? I always get them confused, and I really shouldn't at this point. But Matt is uh, the older one and the shorter who's one. Who's the one that hulks up? Matt, right? Matt is the one that hulks okay. up, yes. Matt Jackson. Um, He was very animated when they came out, like playing to the crowd, like making the cry face when it was like, you know, don't you cry no more. I, I'm not saying it was a shot at punk, but I think it very well could have been if you read the lyrics to that song, unless I'm just totally overthinking it. No, I, you may be overthinking it because I think this alludes to something that was said on one of the BTEs where they wanted to come out to this song for whatever reason. Okay. I'm sure people in the Babel section can explain this a lot better than I can. I do know that the song was released on this day or yesterday, I should say, like in 1975 on the yeah. same date, which that could that's just coincidental. But I did also see that Kansas did tweet out the fact that the Young Bucks used their song. So little crossover there. So cool about that. I love the song. I didn't see it as a CM Punk jab at all because they mentioned it on being the elite. And again, people in the Babel section can probably tell that story a lot better than I can as to why they use that song. And I will say this. We have seen a bunch of wrestlers in AEW use, you know, well-known mainstream songs. I think while most of them fit, unless I have the full context I don't understand why the Young Bucks use this song. Why did the Elite use Carry On Wayward Son other than the fact that it's a cool song and I want to come out to it? That's the same thing as like doing a high spot just for the sake of getting the crowd to react to it. The entrance music works with the character. Just The entrance music is just as important to the character as anything else that they do. And when you just... Throw a random song out there. Yeah, it gets a pop because, oh my God, it's Carry On Wayward Son by Kansas. But what what is it for? And I think the same thing with Orange Cassidy when they switched his song to Jane. Jane's a great song, but it does not fit his character whatsoever. And I understand it's the song from the character, the movie that, you know, helped inspire Orange Cassidy to create this character. But still, it makes no sense. The other song by the Pixies fit him so much better. And I think actually because they switched that song, his momentum kind of died down a little bit, even with the All-Atlantic Championship, which he's starting to pick back up as he's shown on TV more and whatever. But that's just me. I'm sure people will disagree with me on that one, but that's all I got to say about that. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, as far as this match was concerned, uh, I will say this whether it was because of the extra time off. And I think even before this, you know, Kenny had that weird kind of gear on where he had like a vest. Yes. This is the best shape. I think I've maybe have seen Kenny Omega look in since he came with, since AEW came to fruition. Um, mm -hmm. He looked yeah, a lot he looked leaner. Good. He looked like he looked more like himself. 
prior to the injuries and stuff like that. He looked healthy, which is what you want. Um, hopefully Pack didn't break his nose. Uh, <laughs> I thought I thought that, and you know what? I I've been critical of these trios matches. I actually like this match. I thought it was very good. These guys always do well. I don't know if I'm gonna enjoy a best out of sevens tournament here between yeah. these guys i already feel like we've seen this match so many times and they've done so much like if they could pull it off kudos to them i feel like their matches are all pretty similar and we've seen pretty much everything from them but we will see we will see right now we did see something like this years ago with cesaro and sheamus and that led to the bar and those matches were good but they were also pretty much the same thing anyway and I think this is going to be the same thing where the matches are still going to be good, but they're pretty much going to be the same. I don't know how they're going to deviate each one unless each match is going to be the story of Ray Phoenix slowly becoming heel or slowly deteriorating from the death triangle. I don't know where they're going to go with that, but it'd be interesting to see. I do have to ask one other question before we move on, Ralph. Did you see on on social media that Kenny Omega challenged Will Ospreay? For the IWGP United States Championship at Wrestle Kingdom 17. Yes, I did. That is uh, big news considering that I believe this is the first time Kenny Omega is going back to New Japan. And they yes, did it is. not have, from what I understand, they did not leave on good terms when he left to go help create AEW. So good to see him go back. Those two have their, their feud that's been brewing for years, I think, since he's left New Japan Pro Wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to see that. I'd also love to see Kenny Omega revisit something down the line with Jay White too. So, um, I like it. Right. And it's not the only time we'll see AEW and new Japan pro wrestling working together in the near future. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but let's head to the next match for the AEW TBS championship. Jade Cargill extends her streak to 42 and zero against Nyla Rose. I actually thought this match was pretty good. You know, I think, Obviously, Jade Cargill has dominated most of the women's division and her opponents that she's had in her 42-0 streak, but obviously she can't really do that with Nyla Rose, and it showed in this match. I think there were times where Nyla Rose dominated in this match. I think there were times where Jade was able to show her athleticism and, more importantly, her selling You know, on the defensive side. I think she did a very good job at that. Was it the cleanest match in the world? No, absolutely not. I think there were some little bit of wonkiness and a little bit of lack of chemistry between the two. But nonetheless, this could be one of Jade Cargill's best matches since she's been in AEW. Not her best one. I think there's definitely better ones. But definitely a great improvement to what we've seen from her in the last few weeks. And I I think she just did a really good job offensively, her striking, her selling, and obviously winning this match, I think, was a great win for her against Nyla Rose, a former women's champion. Yeah, I, I thought this match was, you know, it was all right. It was what it was. I didn't expect it to steal the show or anything like that. But the one thing that, you know, was difficult for them is they were following that banger of a match that, you know, right. <laughs> the crowds were obviously invested for. And I think mm-hmm. they came down quite a bit. Um, And that's where it gets tough. You know, when you put these pay-per-views together like this, where there are going to be so many matches that the fans are going to be invested in. You run the risk of having a little bit of crowd fatigue. And I think we felt that and saw that a little bit a few times right. throughout the night. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the match suffered a little bit from that, just in terms of the investment from the crowd. But 
you know, Jade kind of extends her winning streak here. It'll be interesting to see kind of where they go with her, but uh, not a bad match between the two. Also see where it goes with Nyla Rose, because it seems like they give her these little pushes. She has her match. She loses it. And then she's back on dark, just like a lot of people in AEW. So I'd like to see her more and get more character development and more time on television. But we'll see how that goes. Next match is the Ring of Honor World Championship Fatal 4-Way from Jericho Appreciation Society. It's the champion, the bride, Chris Jericho. And Sammy Guevara for Blackpool Combat Club. It's Brian Danielson and Claudio Castagnoli. And Ralph, before we start the actual breakdown of the match, I said on our prediction show that the guy who goes over on the go-home show is the guy who loses on the main show. And I keep seeing people saying that's just a WWE trope. That doesn't happen anywhere else. And lo and behold, it happens here in AEW because Chris Jericho submits Claudio Castagnoli for the win. Or excuse me, he doesn't submit him. He beats him with the uh, Judas effect and pins him one, two, three for the win. But with that said, this match, other than the finish, was not what I was expecting. And it was a good thing because we saw a little bit of Sammy Guevara and Jericho getting back at each other like... Sammy Guevara was, it seemed like, the guy that was going to take the pin here. He's the easy guy that Jericho could trust and help him win the match. But that's not what happened. You saw Sammy Guevara get upset when Jericho said, stay in the corner, let me pin him here. Then you saw them pushing each other back and forth. You saw Sammy Guevara, you know, striking Jericho. They're going face to face. I love that. And then you also saw the same thing with Blackpool Combat Club where Danielson and Claudio went back and forth, which that was a little bit more expected because they understand the situation. They're looking to win the Ring of Honor World Championship and they respect each other to the point like, hey, it's the spirit of competition. We know only one of us is going to win, any man for himself. But I I actually love this match. I thought it was a very, very good match. Actually love the finish where Jericho comes out of nowhere and does the jumping Judas effect. They did have to redo it a second time to make sure he landed it on Claudio, but still great match. Great retention for Chris Jericho. Yeah. uh, This match was, was also very good. Uh, I did like the tension that was built between Jericho and Sammy Guevara. Probably the best we've seen Sammy Guevara and look in quite some time because one, uh, he didn't have like one of those weird spots, at least that I've noticed where there was some type of major botch where he could have Mm -hmm. either hurt himself or somebody else pretty badly. Right. Um, and there was that drama where they built up the tension between him and Jericho, which I think worked really well. Um, the fans were invested in Sammy, not in like a go away heat type thing. It was like they actually cared about him. Yeah. Situations where, and you know, that's where it's kind of like, look, it's like, you know, I think I always think back to like when, when Cena was getting booed and he returned at that rumble where it was like, you know, he was the last entrant. He tore his pec, I think, or his quad. Or I don't remember what the injury I think was. I think it was his tricep. Oh, no, it was his pec. Yeah, it's the same injury as Cody. And he yeah, came back he earlier came than back, expected. And the fans went nuts. And then they kind of got quiet because they're like, wait a minute. We're supposed to hate this guy. We're not going <laughs> to, you know. And I think that was very similar last night. It's like, it just goes to show you how good situations are when you put guys in certain situations and you have good storytelling it'll still work even if people hate the guy and Sammy Guevara mm-hmm. over the past like six, seven months, I think 
has had that kind of heat where it's like, oh, like just go away, dude. Like we don't want to see him. Worked last night. Um, match was very good. Um, you know, and I, 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 I think I probably would have liked it a little bit better because I think it would have built the tension more if Jericho in Sammy. Yes, really have to happen, but. But but at the same time, Sammy was kind of part of the finish because Claudio had him down and Jericho came out of nowhere. But you could have had him pinning the already, you know, wounded Sammy Guevara for the win instead of going after Claudio again. But either way, still a good finish. If Jericho hits that that leaping um, Judas effect and Claudio rolls outside and Sammy's dizzy and gets up and Jericho like hits him with the Judas effect. Again, it doesn't take away from the match. I liked no. it, um, but you know that could have helped kind of build the story. But we'll see what happens with those two kind of going forward. Absolutely. Next match here, it's the return of Soraya in the ring after a five-year hiatus due to her neck injury, going up against Dr. Britt Baker, DMD. Obviously, everyone's watching this match under a microscope. How is Soraya going to look in the ring? Is there going to be ring rust? Are they going to work the neck? What kind of bumps is she going to take? Her brother was in the crowd uh, during this match. You know, how's he going to play a role in this match? And he didn't really play too much of a role other than, you know, the same thing that we saw with Jungle Boy and his mother and and sister, where they just kind of put the camera on him for a little bit. Very little interaction between Britt and, and Zach Zodiac there. But nonetheless, this match here, as much as, like, I don't want to be too critical given the situation, but I will say this was easily the worst match of the night, in my opinion. It was just slow. It was like, basically, it was kind of like a test for Soraya. Like, okay, what can we do and what can't we do? And they were just kind of going through the motions and through the spots. And understand, understandably, I understand, like, I get why they did that. But... Outside of Britt really working the neck, which I thought she did a very good job in, I just could not get invested in this match. It was just, it was a very slow match. The finish felt kind of abrupt and the match just kind of ended quickly in my opinion, but it it was what it was. And I know some people are going to love it anyway because of the situation and kudos to Soraya for coming back after five years, but I felt the same way with Edge and Randy Orton, too, where that match just took forever. And that match was forever. They went really, really long in that match. This one, I think, only went 10 minutes. Like I said, it was going to, but it felt like 20. And you don't want that. Yeah, and again, this, uh, the unfortunate thing was, I think this came after another very long match where the fans were super invested and you had a little bit of that burnout because they were so, they were so into the match that happened prior to this. Mm-hmm. So I think there was a little bit of that. The unfortunate thing was, yeah, I mean, Soraya came back and the crowd was a little dead and flat throughout this whole thing. And you never want to see that because one Britt Baker is like their, as far as the women's division, you would imagine she's their cash cow. Mm-hmm. Um, and for Soraya making her return after however long it's been, you would want the fans to be more invested in this. Now, the match itself, it was okay. I agree. I think it was slow. A lot of this, the the spots that happened seemed very repetitive. Like they did the great page. Um, yeah, page. Soraya did the rampage or whatever that move is called now. At least three times, I think. She did um, it twice to win the match, and I think it's called the good night. 
whatever it's they call they're calling it now there were a couple of weird spots like the power bomb spot in the corner i think that kind of got messed up a little bit so you know it wasn't great it wasn't great but soraya's first match back in five years i don't think she looked bad i just don't think the match was the flow of the match was there. Exactly. That's that's what I'm saying. It's not it's not a discredit to Soraya and Britt Baker. It was just something was just pace wise and crowd interaction wise just was not there. And I think it's going to improve over time. And if they meet again in say six months for double or nothing or a year from now at all out or full gear, the match the second time around will be much better. But oh. it's it's just a case where they have to test everything out and make sure she's all right. And they don't want to like do like crazy spots and mess up her neck again. Well, let me, let me point one more thing out because somebody had tweeted this. I don't know who it was. And Soraya said, who cares? They were like, well, who's the heel and who's the face. And I don't know if you had a clearly defined heel or face. I think it kind of depends on who you want to root for. I mean, I obviously I think Brit I is, I think it's clear. Brit's the heel. Yeah, but I mean, based on the things they were saying about each other, they obviously were put in a position where it was like, all right, well, are you going to root for her, be- Brit, because she this is supposedly her house that she held it down and helped build it up? Are you going to r- root for Soraya, whose accomplishments happened in the other company that yeah. AEW constantly crashes? So you're dividing the fans. I felt like there was a little bit of that where throughout the night, it was very obvious, like the fans would get invested in it if you gave them a reason to be invested in the characters and for whatever reason here, two people that you would hope the fans would care about. They didn't get into that, get into it that much where later in the night they came alive for, for Jamie hater mm-hmm. and they came alive for the acclaimed, so, mm-hmm. it, you know, it wasn't like they were totally burnt out. You just needed to give them a reason to, to get into it. And it just, for whatever reason, it just wasn't working. In right. This match, so. Right. That's true. All right. Next match. The triple threat match for the TNT Championship Warlow against the Ring of Honor World TV Champion Samoa Joe versus Powerhouse Hobbs. I was right on this prediction too, Ralph, because Samoa Joe ends up winning this match. Although most of the shine in this match went to Wardlow as he did, you know, you saw him doing flips. You saw him doing Whisper in the Wind. You saw him do power, uh, Powerbomb Symphony to Powerhouse Hobbs. But Samoa Joe comes out of nowhere, takes out Wardlow, chokes out Hobbs, and we have a new double champ in AEW with Samoa Joe as he is now the TNT champion and already holding the Ring of Honor World TV Championship, thus ending the very questionable and lackluster reign of Wardlow as the TNT champion. And you got to ask yourself, what's next for Wardlow? What's next for Hobbs? And obviously, yeah. what's next for the TNT Championship now that Samoa Joe has it? Does it actually get more TV time now with Samoa Joe instead of Wardlow holding that title? Yeah, I I, I don't understand this at all. Uh, I really don't because you think about how over Wardlow is or was throughout the entirety of his championship reign there. And it's like, you know, if you were had any opportunity to, one, give some shine to one of your homegrown talent that, you know, can can really be pushed to that next level with a title that really had a lot of prestige back when AEW first started with a lot of the different champions, whether it was Cody or the Open Challenge and, uh, you know, Darby Allen. There was some really good feuds. Miro. Mr. Brody Lee, Miro. And it seems like 
ever since Miro dropped the title, I think to Sammy that that title just hasn't meant a whole lot. And I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, Wardlow, young up and comer, one of your homegrown talent, powerhouse Hobbs, young up and comer, one of your homegrown talent, uh, Samoa Joe love Samoa Joe, but he's obviously past his peak years and he's done a whole lot in the wrestling industry. Like what, what are you going to get out of Samoa Joe at this stage in his career that you can't get out of somebody like Wardlow and powerhouse Hobbs? Uh, well, I will say this. I will. I will make this argument though. Samoa Joe won't have the expectation that you have with Wardlow that he has to go into every match where he's going to squash his opponent. At least Samoa Joe is the type of guy where you can have a competitive fifteen to twenty mat twenty minute match with him, and it yeah. won't be like why is this why is this happening with Wardlow? And this is part maybe part of the problem as to why he wasn't booked as much in in during his reign is anybody he faces it's like you expect him to squash him and it looked except like orange he was Cassidy. except orange cassidy but that that that's the problem what happens when he actually has a competitive match with somebody and it's like maybe he shouldn't have a competitive match against that guy now you have samoa joe and he does an open challenge whether it's on rampage or dynamite he could do it week in and week out and actually put guys over despite them doing so in a losing effort. So I think this could actually end up being a good move. And then you give time for Wardlow to rechase either the TNT title or maybe he's going up to towards the AEW World Championship. Who knows? But we'll see how it goes. I will say that. I don't want to just blast it because it was Wardlow dropping the title. I don't want to be one of those that says, oh, he lost, he's buried because I know that happens a lot in social media with the IWC. Ain't happened with me. I'll let the story play out. And it looked like there's something going on because after the match you saw that little, you know, it seemed like obvious show of respect between Hobbs and Wardlow where they kind of looked at each other and was like, yeah, Hobbs is like, I get it. I lost the title for you. Wardlow's like, dude, you lost the title for me. So I think this uh, this is not the end for Wardlow. It's not the end for the TNT Championship. I just think they need to start building some guys back up and bring some guys back. One of those being Miro, Andrade, Malachi Black that can really help build up that TNT Championship division, but we'll see what time goes. But let's head to the next match here, the... I didn't even realize it was a no DQ, no count out match, but apparently it was. Maybe it was announced on Rampage. I'll admit I didn't watch Rampage prior to Full Gear, but it is Sting and Darby Allen versus Jay Lethal and Double J Jeff Jarrett. This match was a crazy one, to say the least. Uh, it was messy at times, but there were some cool spots. I love the jump off the ladder from Darby right into the hands of uh, Santum Singh. Thought that was really cool where he just threw him on the ramp. I loved when Darby went for the coffin drop and and Jeff Jarrett just whacked him with a guitar and exploded on his back. That was a cool spot. Not a fan of Sting diving off the crowd onto Santum Singh. That looked questionable because it looked like Santum Singh almost dropped him on his head. But this match had its highs and lows. Was it the greatest match I've ever seen? No. But given the fact that you have two guys that are one in one is in his 50s, the other's in his 60s, it was a decent match for that. But 
when are we going to get Sting and Darby to have just like a regular tag match again and not some weird no DQ Deuce. where Sting has to dive off of something? When are we when are we going to see Darby do anything meaningful? Like on a, what 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 is what was the purpose of this match and Jeff Jarrett like being having a match on a pay-per-view? I I don't need to see Jeff Jarrett wrestling at this point in his career. I I did, I was never a big fan of Jeff Jarrett back in the day. I certainly don't need to see him right now so we can make it feel like it's a TNA pay-per-view or anything like that. Uh, Did you hear the this, TNA chant when uh, Sting and Jeff Jarrett st stared at each other? Yeah, guys, please. Uh, come on. Just cut the shit. Like, whether you like AEW or you dislike AEW, I think we can all agree that in this point in his career and given what this match was on paper with the short build... There was really no reason to have it. I mean, it doesn't do a whole lot for Darby. It's not going to do anything for Jay Lethal. And Jeff Jarrett, who knows what happens with him from here. The disappointing thing with all of this is this. You know, you had FTR, who essentially was feuding with the gun club uh, weeks prior to this. You knew later on in the night we were going to get this dynamic between Swerve and Our Glory essentially splitting up. Why couldn't FTR and gun club have a match on this pay-per-view to kind of ensure that there would be a tag team on the back burner to lead into dynamite and kind of get that kind of prepped. Instead, you got Jeff Jarrett, who's well past his prime coming out and stealing a spot from FTR. Uh, some of the younger guys, some of the guys that are fan favorites like Ricky Starks, like Eddie Kingston, who are on the pre-show. I don't need to see Jeff Jarrett ever again in, in, in AEW. There's, there's no need for it. So I think it was unfortunate that they had this match, uh, in the, on the pay-per-view because I just don't see the reason for it. I don't think it was necessary. Next up, we have the AEW interim women's championship match. In my opinion, was the best match of the night. Tony storm versus Jamie hater. I love the physicality of this match. I love the story that was actually told a pleasant surprise to see Britt Baker, not turn on Jamie hater, but actually help her win the AEW women's championship match as she not only gives Tony Storm a stop out to the belt, but also pulls off the turnbuckle cover to help with the finish here. Crowd absolutely loved that Jamie Hayter won. And hopefully Tony Khan could play his cards right so that we see uh, Tony Storm and ja or Jamie Hayter be one of the forefronts of this women's division. Yeah, like you said, definitely a very good match. It was very obvious who the fans were invested in. Everybody's for a long time, I think now, has wanted to see Jamie Hayter uh, win the title. One of those women who's gotten over organically, which, you know, it's this day and age is is difficult to get yourself over as a, as a pro wrestler with as fickle as fans can be. Um, but she managed to do it. Um, and it wasn't just by association with Britt Baker. So, you know, that kudos to her. Um, interesting to see kind of where they go with this. I think eventually it probably will lead to Jamie Hayter and Britt Baker down the road. Um, but for now, uh, they definitely have another woman who I think can be incorporated into that upper echelon of, of, you know, top tier wrestlers in the women's division. So if you look at it right now, I mean, you know, you've got Britt Baker, you've got Soraya who, who debuted not too long ago. You've got Jade. Um, I'm losing. I'm, on a blank here but tony storm obviously we'll see what happens with thunder rosa so you know that's five or six good wrestlers off the top of my head who know when ruby soho comes back they've got women there it's just a matter of booking it right and making sure you have interesting storylines because as an example here 
you know, fans will get invest invested in these matches. You know, it, you just can't have it be where like, okay, we're going to have one women's match. We're going to randomly throw them together because, well, they're both two names, you know, give us a reason to care, you know? And I think right mm -hmm. here, the dynamic between Britt and Jamie and the backstory with Tony Storm and Jamie Hayter was enough to get the fans at least invested. And they, the pop was huge. Uh, so really cool moment and great to see Jamie Hayter win the title. Right. And also add to that women's division. You also have Hikaru Shida and Riho and Nyla Rose. So there's definitely a division there, but again, it comes down to characters, storylines and get people invested in them and not just have that random match at nine 30 every Wednesday night, because that's why people check out. It's not because of the wrestlers involved. It's because Everyone knows, hey, it's 930. It's that random women's match with no yep. story behind it. But Absolutely. Yep. Next match here, the Tag Team Championship. The Acclaimed versus Swerve in our glory. And kind of like what we saw earlier in the night with Ray Phoenix and Pac with the Hammer, we see a similar story here with the Pliers and Swer uh, Swerve Strickland and Keith Lee. This time, Keith Lee saying, no, I'm definitely not doing this. Not happening. Walks out of the match before eventually the acclaimed double teams, you know, going back and forth, tagging in, tagging out, uh, and giving the victory to them as they pin Swerve Strickland, thus ending Swerve in our glory, it looks like, and a retention for the acclaimed. Crowd went nuts for it. I love that early on in the match, they worked on Anthony Bowen's shoulder. I love the fact that Excalibur made it a point to say that Billy Gunn was not going to be at ringside with the acclaim because he didn't want his emotions to get involved with the match. Although eventually he did come out uh, later on in the match, but didn't really have too much involvement with what happened in said match, but good match. I still think the first of their three were the best. And this match was still a pretty good match. Nonetheless, they have great chemistry together and, can have great match after great match after great match every time. Now it's time to see what the Acclaim could do with a different tag team against the rest of this tag team division. Maybe we could finally see FTR into this storyline. What do you think, Ralph? Yeah. Well, that's exactly why I brought up my point earlier where I felt like FTR versus the Gun Club would have been a good match to make on this pay-per-view because it was obvious you were going to split up a tag team. Swerve in your glory, the former tag team champions are no longer a tag team, it would appear. So... You take them out of the equation, you know, FTR is never going to lose face like with the fans. They're always going to be over. People are always going to consider them a great tag team. But you got to make sure you're keeping people fresh. You're keeping people in front of the TV. Who, who, so it's like kind of like, well, who are they going to wrestle now? Like the gates of agony? Like, no, <laughs> they got to win credible matches. And the acclaim now to me is at the point where they're proving that it wasn't a fluke. Like they were kind of like... I guess like comedic relief a little bit before they won these titles. And now there's an expectation like, no, they're, they're got a good gimmick and fans are into them because they're having good matches too. So they're going to have to continue to win and put on these credible matches and beat some credible tag teams. So uh, yeah, I think they could have afforded to have FTR versus the gun club on the card. This match itself was very good. I do agree. I think the first of their three was the best. Um, I do like the storytelling where obviously Swerve Strickland, it's uh, Swerve and Pack should be a tag team because they are they are of the same mindset, like cheat to win, do whatever you can to win. Um, and Keith Lee obviously has a conscience. 
And he was like, I'm not doing this. Uh, the ending to that match was all but, uh, you know, foregone at that point when we saw Keith Lee walk out. But the fans were super into that. And I think that's going to do a lot for Keith Lee kind of going forward. So uh, great stuff from the acclaimed. I liked the dynamic between Keith Lee and, and Swerve because, you know, it kind of sets Swerve apart from Keith Lee. And uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. But I thought this was a very good match. Yeah, I agree. I definitely, as the semi-main event, that definitely speaks volumes too about where Tony Khan believes the, uh, the acclaimed are, and rightfully so. I mean, they're great merch movers. They have good matches, well popular, well received by the fans, and they really should, you know, face more of the credible tag teams. Let's see the acclaimed versus the young bucks. Let's see the acclaimed versus FTR. If you're going to do this storyline with FTR and the gun club again, or actually like this is the other thing. Why wasn't FTR versus the gun club on this pay-per-view? Why? It should have been. I agree. I agree a hundred percent. Nonetheless, somebody's hurt or there's some type of scheduling thing. We don't know about, but I, I don't know. And said we get Sting and Jeff Jarrett on the card and not Ricky Starks on the main show. Eddie Kinks is not on the main show regardless. But let's head to the main event, Ralph, for the AEW World Championship MJF against the champion John Moxley. And how are they going to tell this story? Was was MJF going to go full on babyface and win this thing clean? Was he going to earn it? Was he, Did he deserve win it? You know, is he going to get the firm involved. Is William Regal going to get involved? And lo and behold, we find out, yes, it was William Regal that gets involved. So the match pretty much Moxley's working on MJF's knee, which he hurt while doing a pile driver onto the, the apron or the tombstone pile driver onto the apron, I should say. And throughout the match, that's basically what Moxley was doing. And Moxley doing a, a fantastic job working this match as a heel. Because like CM Punk, the fans for some reason were not letting Moxley be a babyface in this match. They booed him just as much as they chanted that FCM Punk chant, I think. Even not more. Uh yeah, I I think the part of the reason why uh MJF was getting cheered so much is because they were so close to Long Island. You know, True. New Jersey isn't that far, but I think people just kind of realize that MJF and, you know, he he's he's obviously a guy that has tons of talent. And I think it's like, OK, this guy has arrived. We want him to win the title. The interesting thing was it's pretty clear they're going to keep him as a heel. Um, it's pretty clear, especially from the media scrum, that he has no intention of even playing to the crowd. He called them all marks. <laughs> y'all bought into it. Yep. Um. And that's that's interesting because it's clear the fans want to see him win. So it's it's kind of like, you know, back in the day, Austin was a heel until he couldn't be anymore because the fans were so behind him and he never truly turned face. It was just like he was there and doing these badass things. And I feel like they could do that very much with MJF. So I think they're kind of in a, a weird spot here. You know, Mox has been one of the guys that has kind of held that fort down. He's been a fan favorite. I don't think we've ever seen Mox boot. Not like that. No. Not like that where literally he has to work as a heel throughout the match and he's flipping the fans off. Um, 
or a guy that is like, you know, been a prick his whole career. Uh, so I, we'll see what happens. You know, this was the outcome I think most of us foresaw. Yes. We felt like there was going to be something. We didn't think MJF was going to be genuine. I was always saying that, you know, I, I, I was hoping that there was this weird thing where MJF may lose and he may be this tweener, but they're not going to go that direction, at least not right now, I don't think so. Nope. And obviously it's William Regal that helps MJF win. As we see, the, the firm was a red herring, as I said. They were not going to be involved in this match. And I said they were a red herring. I Nowhere. I did not even think of them. The I did not even, you know, until you said that. That's so strange. Unless we get an answer on Dynamite. Again, it's like. Well, Ethan Page what, what and Ricky Starks. Ricky, pa uh, Ricky Starks and Ethan Page are going to be having their Eliminator Tournament final Wednesday on Dynamite after they, you know, did some gymnastics with the card to make sure there were only 10 matches on the show and not 11 or t whatever it was. Yeah. 11. So Ethan page, Ricky Starks this Wednesday winner gets um, MJF at winter is coming, but we'll see how that goes. But I always knew it was going to be regal. I thought regal was going to use the dynamite ring when MJF threw the dynamite ring out. And I thought they would have, done something where the, the ref got knocked out while the camera's away from Regal. He would have picked up the ring and hit Moxley. But I think the way they did this was probably a easier way to execute what they did. Obviously, Regal handing the, the brass knuckles to MJF, knocking out Moxley. I will say, did we really need two ref bumps to make this, this spot execute? You know? Oh. Did you need both Ref bumps for this. The thing that was weird to me was, you know, not aside from the two ref bumps, uh, Regal comes out while the ref is down and prevents MJF from using the dynamite diamond ring. To right. Essentially win the match. Right. Only for the ref to get knocked back down and give him the brass knocks, essentially putting him in the same situation to win the match. Like, why wouldn't Regal just distract the ref to encourage him to use the dynamite ring when it was the same thing? It's just brass knucks or, you know, it's just, I don't understand the logic in that. I think it's, that was more of like a storytelling spot where you want people to believe Regal is, Regal wants MJF to do this right. Only to find out later, Regal's like in it all along. And swerve the swerve the fans. I, I'm, not, I'm not I'm not that upset about that move. I actually like that part. I just think they didn't need both refs to get knocked down. They didn't need Bryce to get knocked down and Paul Turner to get knocked down. That's where it was like, all right, this is looking like a WWE type of finish here. Where like they did the same thing with Jericho, I think, when he won. Against Stone Cold Steve Austin the night he beat The Rock and Stone Cold the same night, where they had like I think three ref bumps or something like that. It felt similar to that. And if there's that's probably the only negative thing I would say about this match. I thought it was a good match. Didn't need two ref bumps. And I thought the story told was very, very good. I think you really were sympathizing with MJF throughout the match, which is kind of what they wanted you to believe that he wanted to win this on his own. Then it's like, oh crap, he's going to use the dynamite ring. Then Regal comes out and it's like, man, don't do this. Win it on your own. So he throws it out. All right, I'm going to do it on my own. Then 
Moxley hits him with the, the choke holds, nowhere to go, but then he bumps the ref, and Moxley thinks he's won, but William Regal says, no, that didn't happen. Look, the ref didn't see it. So while Moxley's trying to get the ref up, boop, there's the brass knucks, there's the win. Yep. thought it was great storytelling. It's that but therefore thing where each of the plot points in this match had a either but or therefore in between the plot points, which makes it better storytelling than just saying, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. We've gone over that tons of times, but other than the two ref bumps, nothing wrong with it. You and I are going to have to agree to disagree on that because to me, in my mind, it's like <laughs> somebody comes out, convinces you not to stab somebody, and then it's like, oh, here's a gun so you can kill him anyway. <laughs> I, doesn't make sense. But okay. Match itself, uh, very good. Like I said, MJF, super over. Going to be interesting to see a couple of things. One, how do the fans react to him in Chicago? Is he going to get cheered? Is he going to get booed? I think they're going to cheer him. I really do think they're going to cheer him. I think he's going to get a pop. Um, I think they're in a weird spot with him. And we'll see. We'll see what Tony Khan does going forward. Like, Because if he truly is the booker that everybody claims he is, he's going to have to figure this figure this out because it's obvious fans want to cheer him and they see his talent. If they're booing the guy that's always been cheered in John Moxley and cheering a guy like MJF, you might have a bit of an issue on your hand, especially when you're for, you're essentially pushing him in this spot where he's got to be this heel. Um, and he's great at it, but do the fans want to see him as a heel? I don't know if they do. The other thing too, to consider it's in Chicago. Dynamite's in Chicago this week. So how are the fans going to react to MJF and the elite? the elite? Because you have, you know, FU Mox or, you know, they're booing John Moxley. They have FU CM Punk. MJF to a point was CM Punk's biggest rival. So do they cheer him now or does CM Punk come back after his, you know, MMA commentary thing was more of a, guys, what you hear is absolute BS. I'm coming back, and this is my first day back. Let me, uh, let me ask you something here, and we don't have to go too deep into it, but it's just a thought I had um, because with this whole CM Punk thing, do you think the way it was handled, the way, because, you know, obviously a lot of this got out anyway, but at the same time, do you feel like, the lens that Tony Khan went to, to kind of keep it private, if you will, his, you know, his not going out there, not talking about it, pulling people off TV, stripping people of titles, more or less kind of drawing more attention to the investigation, you know, all of these things to make it like this big, huge thing where guys said some things and they got in a fight and people got left off TV. And there was this whole thing about the elite coming back do you feel like the the lengths they went to kind of put them in a worse off situation, at least from the CM Punk standpoint? Because if you think about this, look at look at last night, like fans chanting FCM Punk, FCM Punk. Feel like you're gonna get at least a percentage of the fans who now have a disconnect. If you wanted to watch AEW because of CM Punk, and he's not there. Assuming if it if it is a work too, and he does come back, like you may get some people who just don't want to see him now, or you have people who aren't going to watch AEW because he's been let go. You know, rather than okay, this happened, let's get it figured out. But 
you know, I I feel like the this spectacle of all of it with the investigation and everything didn't make a good situation for AEW in the long term. I think right now you are starting to see like popularity wise, ratings wise, some people are a little turned off by what's going on in AEW because of this brawl out and the lack of transparency behind it. And you know, what side are you on? Are you team elite? Are you team punk? Whatever. And the lack of punk being on TV, I think has hurt AEW in some aspects. I think there's some aspects where despite Sam Punk not being on TV, they managed to hold their own and actually thrive on that situation. The first couple of weeks out of the gate and all out, it looked like they figured everything out, but then they kind of faltered the last few weeks trying to build to this full gear. Now that the elite are back, maybe it's time we move on from this thing. They removed CM Punk from the fight forever cover. And I think at this point, Maybe we have to now face the facts. The elite are going to stay. CM Punk is going to go. He doesn't care anymore. And just leave it at that. And some and, and fans are going to leave saying. because of that. Yeah. And, and that's what I'm saying. Like if Punk, if Punk doesn't get, let's assume Punk's 100% in the wrong, whatever the case may be, but he comes back. They figure it out. They bring him back. He's kind of damaged goods because there's been this narrative that's been pushed that he's a locker room cancer. He's, uh, you know, he, he caused all these things. He's fickle. Um, you know, there had to be an investigation. They're trying to do a, like all of these things that may or may not be true. They've leaked. There was the investigation and it's like, look, if you bring punk back, do the fans even want to see him now? Because he's got this bad reputation while the elite essentially save face in this whole thing. And mm -hmm. who knows who's really right or wrong. Um, and if he's let go, it's just kind of like, you know, you get fans who are going to be pissed about that. So I don't know. I just feel like the whole thing, the more we look back on it retrospectively, looks like it was handled very badly from the start. Oh. Yep. I agree. I agree. Now, final thoughts on the show overall, I thought was very, very good. And outside of a couple matches that I thought were not good or had no business being on the card, I think every other match delivered in some way, shape or form. Yeah, this was this was their best pay-per-view, I think, in some time. Um, and you know, not really any it, it was it was good to see a pay-per-view where there wasn't that drama kind of following it. And it was like, look, we can just be happy that we got the moments we got with Jamie Hayter winning, with MJF winning, the post scrum stuff where it actually plays into his character that's gonna carry over into Dynamite, I would think. Makes you want to watch Dynamite to see kind of the whole backstory with MJF and uh William Regal. So I thought it was a very, very good pay-per-view overall. Yeah, I so agree. So for anybody who wants to say, I hate on AEW just to hate on AEW, not so much the case this week. No. The only thing I think you would probably not really like and grill on is the fact that Jeff Jarrett and Sting are on the card when other guys aren't. I didn't say Sting. I said Jeff Jarrett. Jeff Jarrett, which I don't know why. Like, what's wrong with Jeff Jarrett that Sting is... Well, Sting could come out and stand in the corner. I just don't. Yeah. Well, I don't need to go through it again. I already ranted on it. So, Thanks for listening to this episode of the Squared Circle Psycho Babble. If you liked what you heard and you're listening on either iTunes or Spotify, make sure you give us a five-star review to help spread the word. And we'll see you on the next episode of the Squared Circle Psycho Babble. Mm -hmm.